Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, all of creation is waiting for you. Lord, our our souls are groaning and they're sighing for you, for you to tear the veil and to come down, for you to visit us, to move our mountains, to clean up our messes and to make us whole. And pray that even as we open up your word now and listen to your servant Isaiah, that you would come and that you would visit us. And ask that the word of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So as Father Aaron uh, said at the beginning of the service, um, today is the first uh, Sunday of Advent, which is a season uh, when we as Christians uh, remember uh, the anticipation, all of the events that led up to the first coming of Jesus, and uh, we we also engage our own sense of longing and anticipation for him to come and to return uh, to the earth. And this season's going to go from now until Christmas, so I invite you uh, to come back and to continue to, to enter into this season of waiting with us as a church. You know, I was um, talking with some some friends the other day, and I don't know how we got on the topic, but we were just kind of laughing about the, the dumb questions that we ask people at parties when we're first meeting them. Um, you know, one of the, the most common that we, we named was probably the question, so what do you do? You know, like that's going to tell me anything about you, anything meaningful or substantial. Um, and yet, you know, we, we ask those kinds of questions all the time. We're trying to think of alternative questions that we could ask that might be a little bit more substantial, that might actually help us uh, get to the core of who the person is that we're trying to get to know. One that we came up, up, uh, came up with was this. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? If you want to get to the core of who somebody is, if you want to really touch their deepest longings, their deepest hopes, their vision of life, uh, of what they believe ultimately a good, true, and beautiful life is all about, ask them what they're waiting for. What we're waiting for, it just touches all of our our deepest uh, uh, joys, and it also touches our deepest pains, our, our deepest griefs, the things that we're longing for. So what are you, what are you waiting for this morning? Maybe you're You're waiting for a viable vaccine for COVID, something that you feel safe actually injecting into your body, uh, but that might give us all a little bit more freedom where we can see a little bit of an end in sight. Maybe you're you're just waiting for new political leadership. Maybe it's just as simple as with Thanksgiving passing, you're just, you're really longing for the day when we can have dinner parties again. We can have family get-togethers, and we can have weddings and funerals and graduation celebrations and church gatherings without fear, or without ma- uh, mask rash. In our, in our text today, the prophet Isaiah wants to give God's people, he wants to give each of us a prayer for our waiting, a prayer that can help us wait well, that can help us direct all of our longings 
all of our griefs, all of our hearts and our lives to the Lord of hope. This is what Isaiah wanted to do for the people of God in his day. And I believe this is what his prayer can do for us this morning as we enter into this season of waiting in Advent. So please open with me. If you have your Bibles or if you have the PDF bulletins, uh, you can go back to Isaiah 64. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to look together at Isaiah's prayer for us as we wait. As we wait for our mountains to move, as we wait for our mess to get cleaned up, and as we wait for our maker to complete his work in us. Look with me at Isaiah's prayer for our mountains to move, starting in verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. So the people of Israel, uh, future generations that Isaiah was speaking to in his letter and in his prayer, they were surrounded by lots of problems that were way too big for them to solve. So they were, they were surrounded by the mountains of exile, by, by the problem of famine, food rations. They were surrounded by uh, the oppression of just the Babylonian superpower, a military power that the world hadn't seen before. It was way too big for their armies to conquer uh, on their own. These were all mountainous enemies that surrounded them on every side. And so Isaiah, he, he sees that this is coming for Israel, and he wants to give them a prayer that can touch on that longing and that pain. He cries out, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that these mountains might quake at your presence, Lord. In other words, he's saying, Lord, come and do something. We need you to act. We can't move these mountains on our own, and they're not going to move themselves. This is a, a prayer of desperation. Have you ever found yourself praying a desperate prayer like this? I'm sure at some point in our lives, all of us have. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you just felt totally powerless, totally helpless before a terrible mountain-like reality in your life or in the world. Maybe it's a mountain of unemployment. And maybe it's a mountain of, of miscarriage and infertility. Maybe it's a mountain of mental illness, of depression and anxiety that cripples you and that you feel powerless before you can't do anything about it. I think for all of us in 2020, we found ourselves standing helpless before the invisible but mountain-like reality of COVID. It's a force, a force that's wreaked devastation and havoc on our own souls and on our world in so many different ways. You know, we've been forced to social distance um, out of personal safety, but also out of love for our neighbor. And for those who live alone, or for those who are particularly vulnerable and who are shut in, um, the mountain of isolation has loomed particularly large. 
And maybe if that's you, you're feeling like um, isolation is just this mountain-like reality that you're helpless before. You want to protect yourself, you want to protect other people, and yet the virus is still raging outside, and the loneliness is growing. I feel like you can't do anything about it. COVID's a mountain, uh, but like all disease, it's also an enemy. It's a really ruthless adversary, isn't it? An adversary that just comes after everything that we love, social connection, life itself. It just threatens human flourishing. And ultimately, what looms behind the mountain of disease is the mountainous reality of death, probably the longest standing mountain that every single human being has stood helpless before. It's a mountain we're all surrounded with, a mountain that looms behind our our daily life at every moment. So if you're listening this morning and you're waiting for a mountain to move, Isaiah's prayer is a prayer for you. Isaiah wants us to know that there's a God who's not only good enough, who's not only good enough in his heart to actually care about our suffering and our helplessness, but who's good enough in his power to do something about it. His presence is powerful enough that when he comes, the mountains quake and shake. Look with me at verses four through five. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you and your ways. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of uh, Moses and Daniel, the God of Isaiah, the God of our Lord Jesus, the God who raised him from the dead, He's a God who can move mountains. He's a God who moves mountains. He's a God who acts for those who wait for him. When Jesus came and dwelt among us on the earth the first time, when God incarnate came and took up residence among us, he healed people with incurable sicknesses. He drew people who were in isolation on the margins into a healing community. He raised the dead. And when he comes again, every single mountainous enemy, every single adversary that threatens and wants to denigrate human flourishing, the last and the greatest enemy, even death itself, is going to be destroyed. And anyone who trusts in him, anyone who waits for him, will not be put to shame. Isaiah wants us to know this morning that if you're waiting for a mountain to be moved, your prayer and your desire is aligned with reality. There is a God who can answer that prayer, and in Jesus has answered it. Know that in Jesus, you're not waiting in vain. But we're not just waiting for the mountains out there to get moved, are we? There's also a mess in here that we we desperately need to get cleaned up. Look with me at how Isaiah continues his prayer in the second part of of verse five. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf 
and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There's no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and you've made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Isaiah uses another just really powerful set of images to try and drive home how serious the corrupting power of sin and human brokenness is. It's like a deadly infection. It's like a soiled garment. It's like a winter wind that just withers us out and then cuts us down. It's like a spiritual leprosy that not only infects our own soul and isolates us from our truest self, but that also forces us into separation from from God and from other people. The people of Israel, they they were surrounded by mountainous realities, but as Isaiah looked at the people of his own day and he looked forward how that sin and those patterns of of unhealthy, ungodly behavior would progress into the future generations, he saw that his people would also have a serious mess that they needed to get cleaned up. Um, Several years ago, uh, an acquaintance of one of my friends hired he and I to just like come and tear up all the, the carpet in his home. And so we spent the whole day doing that. And it was really a really beautiful, older house. The carpet, he'd kept it like an immaculate shape. He just didn't want carpet anymore. And yet as we ripped up the carpet in the living room, um, we noticed that the wood underneath had rotten and decayed to the point that um, there was no superficial fix that the owner could, could implement. He just really needed to tear up the boards and put in totally new floorboards. And, you know, for, for Israel, the experience of exile, it was like the carpet of their external lives getting torn up. It revealed all of the rot, all of the decay and death that had been growing underneath the surface for a long, long time, for many, many generations. Look at how Isaiah describes this beautiful carpet of even their most righteous deeds and the external trappings of their religion getting torn up in verses 6 through 7. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds like a polluted garment. It's maybe one of the most shocking things uh, in, in this whole chapter. You know, we would expect him to say our sins are like a polluted garment. We would not expect him to say our righteous deeds, the righteous deeds of his people, were like a polluted garment. Look at how he continues in verse 7 to describe the spreading, infecting corruption of this decay. There is no one calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. I think for so many of us, the unique and the intense trials and the pressures of this past year have like ripped up the beautiful externals of our lives, haven't they? 2020 has has just removed all of our sense of normal and stripped away all of our comforts, all of the the activity that we've kept ourselves busy with to hide from ourselves and from other people, the rot and the death and decay that was growing underneath the surface of our lives. We've all become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds, our best works, most religious works, like a polluted garment, they're just tainted by the decay that's inside of us. Over the course of this year, have you, have you become aware of anything unclean that's been growing in your life underneath the surface? 
Maybe it's just a tendency towards harsh criticism or towards complaining. Has any doubt or any just apathy towards the things of God been growing inside of you? Are there any secret ways of, of self-medicating and getting your needs met um, that you don't like, they're not healthy, they're not holy, but you can't stop it? Maybe you've been able to hide it uh, from other people, but it's, 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 it's starting to bubble up for you. Or maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking like, okay, you know, sure, some of my imperfections under serious stress have been brought to the surface, but so what? I'm not going to feel shame. You're not going to make me feel shame about that. What's the big deal? And I just want to say that if that's you this morning, um, I just want to totally make clear that my intention and the intention of the Lord in, in revealing these things is 100% not to shame you. That is not his heart for you. But he is absolutely intent on making you whole. He's absolutely intent on making every single one of us whole. Because if God doesn't ultimately clean up the mess in our lives over time, um, the eternal consequences of that that we might begin to see in this life is that it's going to become a living hell for us and for everyone else. I think C.S. Lewis puts this in a really powerful and convicting way. He writes, hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you're still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish that you could stop it, but there may come a day when you no longer can. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on and on forever like a machine. It's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there's something growing which will be hell if it's not nipped in the bud. Friends, I believe that in his great mercy, God is ripping up the carpets of our lives. He's not doing it to shame us, but he's doing it to save us. So if you're waiting for a mess in your life to get cleaned up this morning, Isaiah's prayer is a prayer for you. His prayer is a prayer for you. In Jesus, you have a God who has died for your sins. If you ask him, even this morning during our time of confession, he'll remove your soiled garments. He'll exchange them for the white robe of his own life and his own righteousness. Which brings us uh, to our last point in Isaiah's prayer. That ultimately, what we're all waiting for is for our maker to complete his work in us. We're waiting for our maker to complete his work in us. Look at verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Emmanuel, I sense that this is a prayer that is most pregnant for us. I think that this is a prayer that for the rest of 2020 and ultimately for the rest of our, our lives that we can enter into and that we can live inside of. And this is, this is a prayer 
that's from a child to their father. It's a prayer that's from a piece of clay to the potter. And ultimately, I think it's a prayer that goes something like this. Father, whatever it takes, keep making me like Jesus. Father, whatever it takes, keep making me like Jesus. A few months ago, I was on Instagram, um, and I stumbled onto uh, one of those time-lapse videos of uh, someone in their pottery shop um, taking a lump of clay and making a vase. And I w- it was like I was hooked. I probably watched 20 more of those videos. <laughs> um, and don't regret it at all. It was absolutely incredible. Just to like watch someone take this, this raw material, this raw piece of clay, and then to throw it on the wheel, and they're just like lifting it up and pushing it down and lifting it up and pushing it down. You know, they're strategically impressing their fingers into it. And, you know, since I don't have that skill, um, I, for most of the video, had no idea what they were making. I had no idea what they were making. You know, it looked like the clay was taking one form to me, and like, oh, maybe it's, you know, a bowl. And then they would just, like, smush it back down again, and, and I would, you know, be back to square one. Um, but the slow process, and also just the incredible skill that goes into to making something, the potter making something from a piece of clay, it just totally captivated me. And, you know, this is actually, this imagery of the potter and the clay, this is probably one of the oldest images in human history. It goes all the way back to the very beginning, from when our maker picked up dust from the ground and fashioned humanity in his likeness. And he breathed his own life-giving spirit, his own presence, into them. Emmanuel, this is what the Lord is doing with you. This is what the Lord is doing with me, what he's doing with all of us. This is what the Lord's doing with your household, with your family. And I know that it can feel so frustrating to be feeling like we're getting pulled up and then pushed back down, to feel like our momentum is getting pulled up, and then to feel like uh, we're getting pushed back down and everything's being brought to a halt. It can feel so frustrating. It can feel so confusing to get slowed down. But I believe that this is actually all part of the potter's process. This is all part of the potter's process. I believe that our maker wants to impart a gift to us. He wants to impart a gift to Uptown and to Chicago. He wants to impart the fullness of his presence and power, but we can't receive it right now. And we haven't been able to receive it yet as a church. We're just not able to. So he's got us on the wheel. He's shaping us. He's preparing us. He's preparing me and you to receive it. And I think that so often our vision for our lives, um, our vision for what God wants to make us when we get baptized into Jesus, it's way too small and too boring, friends. It's way too small and too boring. He is absolutely intent on making each and every single one of us like Jesus. Think about that. He's making us more loving, more courageous, more patient, more pure in heart than we could ever want for ourselves and that we could ever accomplish on our own. And here's the incredible assurance that the Father wants to give us this morning, that 
he gives us through Isaiah's prayer. He will use everything, everything, even what he hates, to create what he loves in us. He'll use even what he hates to create in our lives the things that he loves, and he will complete his work. If your deepest hope, if your strongest desire, if what you're really waiting for is for the potter to complete his work in you, you'll find him answering that prayer every single day. All of our mountains, all of our messes, it's just the raw material that gets thrown onto the wheel. It gets taken up into the hands of the potter, and he's using it to make us more like his son, to deepen and enlarge in our soul. And he's not going to stop until Christ is fully formed in us, until we get to see him face to face when he returns and we're made like him. This is what we're all waiting for. So brothers and sisters, let's stay on the wheel. Let's stay on the wheel. Let's entrust ourselves to our loving father, the father of our Lord Jesus. Let's entrust ourselves to the skilled hands in the slow work of the potter. Let's keep entrusting ourselves to the bride of Christ, to Holy Mother Church, to her worship, to her prayers, to her communion of saints. And as we wait this Advent, let's all learn to pray together, Father, whatever it takes, keep making us like Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.